The Canucks front office takes to the podium today at Rogers Arena. It is the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Drancer, we are uh, live in the bowels of Rogers Arena, awaiting Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin's presser coming up in just over an hour here at Rogers Arena. We are indeed in the secondary, the visiting media yeah. room, which, of course, used to be my old haunt when I worked games here for the uh, favors not working, but ding, Florida Panthers. Uh, I actually watched Henrik Sedin's thousandth point in this room, briefly looked up from my book, from whatever <laughs> Jonathan Franzen book I was reading at the time, and oh, I guess I should have enjoyed that more. <laughs> should, should have taken the opportunity to maybe yeah uh, to experience drink history. that one in a little bit. No, more. I was I was I was sitting having a chat with uh, former Canucks PR head at the time, Ben Brown, uh, and then obviously he had to go work. So. Yes, yeah, he had a, a fair <laughs> bit of work to do uh, on that. Was day. a thrill to be in the building. Um, a whole lot to get into today, both with the Canucks, also with the NHL playoffs, of course, which got going uh, last night. Not a great night for my picks, Drance. We might talk a little bit more about that. But how'd I do? In the show. Yeah, you did pretty well. How'd you I do? pretty well. It, well, see, this is what I was saying. So, we, s- some of my underdog picks, too, like the picks that I was getting made fun of a lot for picking Leafs and for picking Kings. Anyone making fun of me today? As a well, probably, but <laughs> maybe not for those reasons. No. But see, as a show, we hedged our bets, right? So, that's true. So that's you know, true. we 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 I didn't. We limited the uh, <laughs> we limited the damage we could do to us ourselves that's true. as a show. Six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. How much? How much playoff hockey did you watch yesterday? I watched a fair bit. It was awesome. Yeah, I I mean I. Playoff hockey is so good. Until the L.A. Edmonton game, there wasn't a close game in the third period, which was put a bit of a damper on right. things. Um, but, yeah, playoff hockey is fantastic. It's so and, good. And day one of the playoffs with the four the games. The speed and the And the staggered passion. start times and everything. Yeah. It was uh, it was still a lot of fun to I, watch. I want I want playoff hockey back in the city so badly. That would be nice. It would be great. And you, you could just feel the atmosphere, like, in Minnesota, in Toronto. Uh, you know, in Edmonton, in Edmonton Ed- for sure. the, the Edmonton fans brought it. It's too bad their goalie didn't. And you know, it was uh, it was just this reminder of what the product can be. You know, this this fantastic reminder. And as good as playoff hockey is, the moment I see it, I'm just like, oh yes, thank you. Like this is unreal. This is the best. This is the best live sports viewing experience in the world for me. Not close. Nothing else comes close for me. Not not a football Sunday, not a playoff football Saturday Sunday, uh, you know, not NBA playoffs first round, not March Madness. There's nothing, not the World Cup of Soccer. There's nothing as good as playoff hockey for me. And yet, you know, I'm watching those games and I'm thinking, as good as this is, it doesn't justify the last eight weeks of the regular season where I was just falling asleep. Just watching, des- desperate to get to the playoffs. Desperate. Watching teams just sort of with no stakes, kind of try and stay healthy, those all-star game pace games, like, it, you know, there was far too few Dallas-Vegas type, you know, games that mattered down the stretch. I, I still don't understand why that's not a major league talking point, a major talking point among the Board of Governors and, and among general managers. Like, solving that problem should be at the absolute top of the NH, uh, NHL's priority list. It might have the biggest gap 
as a sport between the intensity level, right? Between first round of the playoffs and, as you said, the last eight weeks or whatever. Right? Yeah. The NBA has a lot of that. A as lot well. of that. Uh, to be fair, like there are some really, but really you do get, dismal NBA games down the stretch. You do get those sudden moments where a game matters. Like yeah. I think about the. Do you remember when the Canucks broke the Detroit Red Wings home win streak in 2012 or oh, whatever, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, and it was this moment in the regular season where all of a sudden both teams were going to war. Uh, that's like you have to find ways over an 82-game season to have as many of those as you can. Sometimes you get it naturally with rivalries or because there's a big event and bad blood begins to brew between two teams. But more often than not, you get it because it's a do-or-die game for one team for whatever reason, right? Either they want to send a message early in, earlier in the year or you're jockeying for meaningful you know, playoff standings or there's real stakes down the line. And, you know, I don't know how you solve it aside from a play-in tournament, but a play-in tournament would go an awful long way toward, uh, toward doing that and toward building hype. Like, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Front Row Sports tweeted that the NBA viewership was up 69% for the first round of the playoffs from, wow. from 2020. And it's like, okay, so why? Well, they lean in hard to marketing uh, a stable of talented young stars. The NHL has a, ta- a stable of talented young stars. We're seeing them all in the first round. We saw Connor McDavid score a beauty. Mm-hmm. We saw Marner and Matthews go off. You know, we saw some of the Blues players just absolutely take over. Certainly, we saw Svechnikov and Seth Jarvis just crush. Like, there was so much to like. It's just that those guys aren't put front and center. You know, you think about the transparent lineup and injury disclosures. You think about how they build hype for the playoffs for weeks in advance and maintain the stakes down the stretch, down the garbage time stretch of the regular season because of the play-in tournament, because of jockeying for seeding to avoid that tournament, uh, you know, all up and down the playoff ranks. I I mean, it just makes such a huge difference to me to, you know, install some of those things. I I think there's some obvious learnings from from what you're seeing out of the NBA. Oh, oh, transparent officiating, let's not forget that too. Mm -hmm. That's another key factor. It's like, you know... These are simple tweaks, really simple tweaks. I just I don't understand why it's not at the tip of the tongue uh, for, you know, not just not just the league, but like the hockey commentariat. Like, I don't know how you could have watched the last two weeks of this uh, months of this regular season and thought, that's great. That's fine. That that product is good. You know, this product we saw yesterday is incredible, is incredible. Well, that's find a way to make it more like that more often. You have as a league, as a sport, an incredible asset to work with, which is the thrilling playoff hockey that, yeah. that we see every every spring right it's it's an incredible product to sell and try to market and yeah there are ways i think the nhl could make it even oh. better and increase the spotlight increase the, the attention and the hype i, I honestly don't I, I, we'll, we'll move on because yeah. this is a big digression you're, but you're, i honestly you're getting worked up well i just i don't understand like for me it should be almost the only talking point uh we'll get back into the playoff discussion a little bit later in the show uh tanbeer texts in how excited is drance after the leafs five nothing win that's one game who cares one game uh, hey, I'm not the react to one they, game guy, Tanbeer. That's you. They can blow a one nothing. That's you, Tampa Bay Lightning. We'll talk more about the playoffs. They can uh, blow. A they later. can blow a three nothing lead against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Sure Are you could. kidding me? It's the Maple Leafs. But of course, as I said, their they're, they're speed played though. It did, and that's and that's you know the, the Leafs might not win the series. Uh, look, it's playoff hockey. Anything can happen. I just like when I have a really strong take on a team. Like I thought Tampa Bay's speed was going to be a significant issue. I've been talking about it for months. I was talking about it when the Canucks played them in January, and I thought we saw that on full display. I don't think you're going to get games like that from Stamkos. Stamkos could have had two goals last night if he just connected on one-timers that he connects on 
80% of the time. Uh, Kucherov was invisible. Mm-hmm. That's not going to well, happen again. I actually don't think he was invisible. I think he was visible for a lot of the wrong T- reasons. Downright bad. Yeah. Okay. And then Victor Hedman was also bad. And you know what's not going to happen again? It's all three of those All three of those bad. players not being good? Yeah. Not going to happen again. So it, it's one game. Don't overreact to results one way or the other. But the, the one thing I felt good about was you could see how much Toronto's speed gave Tampa Bay's defenders issues holding the blue line. You could see it. On the penalty, uh, on the penalty kill, especially, you could see it in terms of how they close space, and you could certainly see it in the massive rush chances that the Maple Leafs were able to generate. So, you know, again, more than the result, I'm just glad that the dynamic of the series looked the way that I'd been telling fans for months to watch for. Uh, six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. As mentioned, in just about an hour here, Canucks general manager Patrick Alvine and the president of hockey operations Jim Rutherford will speak to the media their year-end press conference we heard from Bruce Boudreau yesterday now we get to hear from the front office of course you'll be able to hear it live here on Sportsnet 650 and I want to throw it out to the listeners what what are you most what do you need to hear what do you want to hear from Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford when they speak later today what's at the top of your priority list that you want to find out from the Canucks brass and I'll pose that question to you Drancer and you know for me there's two things that are clearly at the top of the list and number one is just any update any further clarity on the status of Bruce Boudreau which we talked about uh, based on Boudreau's comments at the podium yesterday more than that and I think even bigger than that is the where do they land on the kind of tweaks versus significant changes debate that has been simmering for the second half of the season and I think was put in the spotlight by what Bruce Boudreau had to say yesterday, where he said, I think this team is just a couple of tweaks. So to what degree do Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford align with Bruce Boudreau on that subject? I think that is going to be the most interesting thing to try to parse from their comments today. That that's the line that the most people are going to put a magnifying glass on and like try to try to squint and read between the lines, right? So I would suspect that they'll be prepared for that. I, I would suspect that they'll find a way to sing from the same hymn book while also throwing a token nod to the future, right? You know, Jim Rutherford might say something like, when I first came in, I noted that every year it seems like if you get the right two players in or the wrong two players in, it changes your fate. So I agree with Bruce there, but also with where we're at, we need to be mindful of the future. I think that's probably the way that you kind of, like, Hey, I agree with him. I said that when I got hired. I'm consistent over many months. Um, now, of course, Rutherford and Alvin, I think, have been pretty careful to give you a Rorschach, right, where you can kind of see whatever you want. And, by the way, I don't think that's bad policy, especially as they, you know, begin to wrap their hands around this organization and really put their stamp on it. But, you know, I think something like that where they King Solomon it, split the baby, kind of get to have their cake and eat it too – to mix eight metaphors in like 30 <laughs> seconds. I think that's my, that might be so, sort of what, what I'd expect to see there. Certainly a lot of attention on that one. But, in, you know, on the Boudreau front, I, th- I don't think there's a lot of suspense. Right? It's really easy for Rutherford and Alvin to echo Boudreau's comments. Mm-hmm. You know, there's positivity there without being super committal, Right? One way or another, we're talking. I'd expect it to work out. Bruce wants to be back. We want him back. Kind of tickety-boo, right? N- not a huge um, issue, I don't think. That's not a, now not a tough one to sidestep. Here's what I'm now most interested to hear, especially in the wake of Brian Bartlett, who is JT Miller's agent's comments 
on Donnie and Dolly earlier today. I'm curious to hear the club address how big a priority extending JT Miller and Bo Horvat is likely to be this offseason. And as a corollary to that, I'm curious to hear, and I'm likely to ask them if they're listening, they can prep their answer in advance. I'm, they're not listening. Um, <laughs> um, I'm curious to hear how philosophically, right, do you balance how difficult it is to find and replace players as good as JT Miller is with the risk inherent in signing a, a guy who's going to be 30 years old the first year of that deal to a long-term big money extension? How, how do you balance that, particularly considering where this team is at in the NHL pecking order, which, you know, 106-point pace under Boudreaux aside, is on the outside of the playoffs looking in and fifth in their division, right? It's not – there were six points out. It's not like we're talking about a team that just missed or that has a track record of making the playoffs. We are talking about a team that's an also-ran in their, in their division. And now I think if you're looking at teams like the LA Kings, right, and, and teams like the Anaheim Ducks, you know – probably doesn't have the asset capital necessarily where you're saying, well, three years down the line when Vegas is really old and Calgary gets long in the tooth, there's going to, and, and McDavid leaves Edmonton because he's tired of playing in front of bad goaltending. And, you know, there's going to be a window for us. Like, I don't even know that you can say that this team's not the best positioned. In fact, it's very mediocrely positioned for that sort of medium term eventuality too. So I'm curious to hear them address the philosophical nature of balancing the now and the future. And I think that's probably going to be my approach to try and get them to discuss the tweaks question in a way that maybe steps a little bit outside what they might be expecting. Well, and if you're, if they're asked specifically about what Boudreaux had to say and the tweaks phrase and that kind of terminology, you know, as I mentioned on the show yesterday, you can get into some semantic hair splitting, right? Right. Like you could, if you want to, pretend that tweaks means oh yeah we're three really good players away right like we're a, another top six forward who's excellent and and two more top four defensemen that's only three players that's not massive changes right you can kind of fit that under the tweaks umbrella if you really want I don't think that's the common understanding of tweaks you know what I mean but you can kind of fudge it like yeah three players that's not that big a deal right we're only three players away so you can kind <laughs> of you can kind of thread the needle that way right if you want if you don't want to come out and say no no no, no we're way more than a few tweaks Away, But I think the overall kind of philosophical point that you make is going to be an interesting one. And Brandon, Brandon in Vancouver, Texas in 650-650 says, I'm hoping to hear that this past run hasn't derailed the obvious changes needed to this group. I'll be incredibly sad if they choose to only tweak a thing or two. Bruce is amazing, but he focuses on each season in turn, hoping to achieve the playoffs. That's how his job is judged. So it's understandable that he would prefer to keep his big players and hope his brilliant run continues. And I think that's an important point about the different mindset that a coach is always going to have. And that you want them to exactly. have, by the way. Like, like, that's healthy. What, what's one of the lines you always hear is that a coach wants his team to trade the first round pick every year, right? right. Like, go I don't care if this guy's going to be good for us three years from now. I need a player who can help right now. That's how coaches think. Yes. It's not – it shouldn't be, certainly, how, how general managers and presidents think uh, as a matter of course. So I think that's a really insightful comment from Brandon. And I think one of the big tells is going to be what's, what's the number one thing we've heard from Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford since they've taken over? It's the need to generate cap flexibility and cap space. That is – the number one thing. And there's other things down that list, right? Uh, prospects, draft picks, depth, all of that. To me, if they continue to bang that drum, 
and emphasize that cap space and flexibility is the most important thing. That is going to be, I'm going to probably interpret that as them saying, without directly saying, you know what, we, we're not really changing our plans based on what this team did over the final three months, right? Like, st- it's still cap space, it's still prospects, it's still picks. And you can kind of, they can yeah. reassert their philosophy and their vision without coming out and directly disagreeing with what Bruce Boudreaux totally. had to say. Totally. I also love to hear, um, you know, analysis that could be ripped off the pages of The Athletic. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm here for that. I think you're right, though. I think the cap space line is the tell. Although, you know, I think, again, we're, we're looking at very few trees and trying to describe the forest, mm-hmm. right? Just in terms of what their mindset has been so far, right? So if you think about the trade that they've made to clear out cap space, which is the Travis Hamannick deal, right? It wasn't purely that they valued $3 million in cap space. They also got a replacement. They mm-hmm. just got a more affordable replacement who was probably a better fit better, organizationally, younger, faster. More upside, all yeah, of that. Right. Yeah, right. And so it's not as if it was a pure dump cap space. It was a dump cap space and get younger, more affordable, right? More upside, better cultural fit. Boom. So there, we've sort of not, – not, I'm not saying that we're going to see that recreated time and time again. But if you need, and and if this organization has decided, and if Rutherford and Alvin have looked at this team and said, you know, the blue line needs to get both better, younger, faster, and cheaper, and we're we're going to need to recreate this a series of more times to to accomplish that, I think that makes sense. If they're going to go about trying to add team speed with a similar approach up front, I think that makes sense. And that's not necessarily that you're trading everything for and waving the white flag on next season. Which, you know, I don't even think you can do when you have Thatcher Demko in net. No. If you employ Thatcher Demko, you can't really bottom out anyway. He's just too good. So, you know, I think there's uh, I think there's sort of a middle path that they've already charted or begun to chart. I don't think it's an it's one that's, you know, uh, I don't think it's I think it's a sensible uh, potential course. But we'll see. We'll see how much, you know, so so I, I guess what I'm saying is in terms of the cap space talking point. Don't read too much into it if that is their focus, right? It doesn't necessarily mean scorched earth, no. trade everybody, rebuild. It just means, you know, finding smart smart ways to add value to your organization with players that are, you know, younger, faster, cheaper. Uh, Susan in North Van Texton, does management's view of extending or not extending Miller have any indication of their faith in Pedersen to be the guy for this team. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, I don't think they're going to come out and give us uh, really exact details on where they stand on those kinds of questions today. But I am going to be fascinated to see what kind of questions they field about specific players and JT Miller in particular, especially in light of, as you said, JT Miller's agent uh, going on uh, our friends Donnie and Dolly on Check TV today and speaking about his client's future and saying that you know he hit one of the goals of JT Miller is to re-sign with Vancouver he wants to be here he wants to help the team grow all of that but also you know trying to kind of rebut which is an agent's job and an agent's right trying to argue against the idea that because JT Miller is going to be 30 when the new deal kicks in uh, that there's a lot of risk attached to the deal and the JT Miller dilemma is still the most interesting and the most challenging piece of business to me that this management group has to figure out because, you know, Bo Horvat, I think that's a pretty easy 
That's a pretty easy one for me. You sign him. You you extend him. There's a fit there. Lock him up. He's your captain. Keep him here long term. The Brock Bester one, it's certainly complicated. But again, I think it pretty clearly points in the, in the direction of find a way to get an extension done with this player at less than 7.5. With JT Miller, you know, I, I have been very much an advocate for exploring a trade with him rather than signing him to a big deal. But I also understand how incredibly difficult it is to voluntarily walk away from a player who just put up a 99-point season and and who's an, an emotional leader on your team. And I'm really curious to hear what they have to say and how specific, if at all, they will be about their plans with JT Miller, the timeline for how they're going to make that decision, and everything involving that dilemma with their leading score. No question. Year. Although, and let's get into JT Miller a fair bit on the on the okay. second on the other side. But I, I do want to note. Uh, I want to come back to your comment on Bo Horvat, right? Which is that you, you know, think it's a no brainer. And I think here's where you get into a very interesting conversation about the impact of age, right? If, for example, you were to sign Bo Horvat to an extension this summer. That was six years long. Let's just say, you know, eight million times six years. Okay, maybe it's more, but if say say it's a six-year extension, that takes him through his age thirty-three season. Okay, that's a huge difference with a JT Miller extension, where if you sign a seven or a six-year extension, the his age thirty-three season comes in year three. Right by the end of it, you're also buying his age thirty-four, thirty-five, thirty-six seasons. That increases the risk exponentially and we'll talk about the JT Miller J, the JT Miller as outlier argument we'll talk about aging curves we'll do all of that not not just over the course of the summer but also uh, into the second segment but I think the grounding the, the sort of foundational question you have to ask yourself in doing either deal right is how close are you how close are you how close are you to competing for the Stanley Cup and, and this is actually sort of a, a roundabout way of asking the listeners a question that I'm curious to hear their answer to I'm curious to hear your answer to too Jamie because I was watching the playoffs last night and I watched bits and pieces of every game I didn't take my eyes off of hockey all night and it was beautiful and I'm watching these games but I'm thinking about the Canucks because that's how I'm wired (laughs) and I'm watching it and I'm thinking you know I saw the Canucks measure up against the Blues and I saw them measure up against the Wild and I didn't like what I saw particularly Mm -hmm. right like I thought those teams were materially better um I'm watching this Tampa Bay and this Toronto game, and I'm thinking Vancouver got, you know, the pace of play was dictated by Tampa Bay, both games they played, and Toronto's out skating them in every phase of the game here. Uh, You know, I watched Carolina, and I thought, this team has miles, miles to go before they catch a Boston team that has miles and miles to go if they're ever going to catch Carolina. And then I'm watching Edmonton and L.A., and I'm watching the job that Deneau was doing on McDavid, and I'm watching the job that their defense was doing on McDavid, and I'm thinking to myself, if the Canucks were playing the Oilers, right, fans would have probably fancied the Canucks in that matchup, in this market, but you'd have had Myers, Oliver ekman Larson as your hard match for McDavid, and I don't think that would have gone well for this team. So I'm curious to know, watching the playoffs last night, did you think if the Canucks could have snuck in that they would have been able to hang around and been a tough opponent, or do you think it would have been a humbling experience for this club because I lean toward the latter I'm curious to know like fans what do you think it would the Canucks have done okay if they'd snuck in texted in 650 650 Dunbar lumber inbox yeah hit us up 650 650 we will talk about that we'll continue the JT Miller discussion and uh, we will quickly look ahead to the playoff series that get going tonight as well you're listening to the home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650 
back to the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here with you. 45 minutes before Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford will take to the podium at Rogers Arena, which you will be able to hear live here on Sportsnet 650. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit Avenue Machinery. And, Drancer, you put the question to me and and to our uh, 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line uh, just before the break. You know, watching those four playoff games that got going last night, was there a single one or were there any of them that you looked at and thought, you know what, the Canucks would have been really competitive in this game? And we have been overwhelmed with uh, feedback. Oh, people have strong feelings about this? very, very strong feelings about this. Well, let's start. Can I start with here and you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give my take before we get into the 650-650 inbox. And... For me, the only one that comes close is Edmonton, L.A. And I look at the other three series that were on last night. Those are three – those might be the three most evenly matched competitive series in the first round, right? Tampa, Toronto, uh, Boston, Carolina, and St. Louis, Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, the other ones in the West are also Rans. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, So – Coronations. Um, you know, from those are those are really, really tough, impressive series. And I was not watching those games thinking, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, the Canucks would be right there. Like you saw what Toronto did to, <laughs> to Tampa Bay, how slow they made the lightning look. Uh, you know, you saw what St. Louis did to Minnesota. The only one that came close for me was Edmonton and L.A. But as you said just before the break, would Tyler Myers and OEL have been able to do a job against Connor McDavid and who over would have been seven games up with Leon Draisaitl? Probably not. Like I don't think it would have been a sweep. I don't think it would have been. You know, they're getting uh, completely dominated every night, but they wouldn't have been the favorites. That's for sure. Oh like, no, against no, no, Edmonton, no. obviously they might have been plus like three hundred yeah. to win the series. So yeah, I mean, could they have? You know, stolen our friends a game play or two? now would have handicapped that yeah. aggressively in Edmonton's favor. Could they have stolen a game or two? Yeah, absolutely. But they also clearly would have been the second best team there. And, you know, to be honest, that's a lot of the sentiment that is coming in in the 650 uh, 650 Dunbar Lumber text line. And this one uh, came in from Tony from Port Coquitlam. He says, there's a big difference between the pace of playoffs and regular season play. Yes, great point, Tony. He also says the way they got pushed around by bigger teams, I say it would have been a humbling experience for the Canucks. Dead on. And even beyond getting pushed around, I think that is the biggest question because you see how these good teams raise their game as soon as the playoffs start, right? They find another gear. And did the Canucks have that other gear to get to, to raise their game, to match it, right? Like Because you can go through and point to games against a lot of these teams where they were competitive or successful. But when those playoff teams get into the playoffs and take it up a notch, would the Canucks have been able to match that? And that's where I land on... Totally. You know, that that's ultimately the biggest thing, and I think Tony is, is right to point that out. 100%. Get, hit, hit us with some other responses from the inbox. All right. It says... Uh, Who the, disagreed, other than Tanbeer? <laughs> yeah, Tanbeer, Tanbeer is all in. You know what? I, I can find some uh, some disagreeing ones, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of agreement, to be perfectly honest, right? I mean, there's a lot of people saying... Uh, well, here, here's a very common sentiment. This is from Oz in Vancouver. It says, I think if the Canucks snuck in and got the Oilers, they'd have a chance strictly because of Demko versus Mike Smith. The team is still two or three steps away uh, from being a proper but, contender. But they wouldn't, have had, they wouldn't have had Demko. Demko's hurt. Yep. Horvat's hurt. I mean, you know, that's an important thing to note, right? Like, the Canucks wouldn't have those guys, which is part of, part of why, you know, 
do they have the depth? Uh, look, I wouldn't want to face Spencer Martin in a playoff series. <laughs> <laughs> Guy's never lost in regulation. Incredible yeah. for this franchise. But Lee, Lee Texan, Canucks have been in playoff mode for months. They may have hung in with teams like the Avs in the regular season, but those teams were in cruise control. Canucks definitely would have been humbled 100 percent That's such an important point to note because you do need to remember, too, that you know the stakes of closing gaps late versus teams that are safe are, are completely asymmetrical, right? And there's so many situations. I'll, I'll go break it down objectively at some point. But there's so many situations where teams get hot in the second half and don't carry that over to the next season because the stakes are different. The pressure is different. The game is different when you're a long shot bid, uh, closing late, trying to trying to finish strong as opposed to a team that's, you know, really in the mix for a playoff spot. And, and one thing that I still sort of point to when I think about this team and how, how this season went is that every time they got to the point of having the precipice of having a real shot, that's when they lost, and usually lost to, like, the Ducks or the Red Wings or the Sabres, right? It wasn't as if they went into Colorado the game after the deadline and got crushed. In fact, that, that those were the games where they played really well. Mm-hmm. It was when, when they were hot, and then they faced this super workmanlike, polished, professional Blues team that all of a sudden things kind of came apart at the seams, right? Like, that was the story of this season for me. Um, I mean, I, I do think that if this team had been in the playoffs uh, – I mean, seven games to find the weak spots on this defense score when you're when you're rolling out Myers and Oliver Ekman Larson, who did a really good job for this team and this franchise over the course of this year. But, you know, the seams will show uh, Luke Shen in the top four. Again, Luke Shen, great value. He's been an incredible piece for this team, obviously off the ice, on the ice, too. He was really good on Hughes's right side all season long. But in a seven game series, it's a different game. A few more thoughts here from the 650-650 inbox because this one got a really big uh, reaction. Rahul P. says we would be humbled and we'd be discussing the exact same issues with the team while holding a worse draft pick. Marcus and Gibson says there's not a single series in the playoffs right now that the Canucks defense would match up well in. Uh, Rager says it would have been the same strategy they deployed against Vegas two seasons ago. Try to keep up with them as long as possible. When all else fails, retreat and depend on elite goaltending and shot blocking. And I'll read, uh, I I found one uh, dissenting one here. It is, of course, from Tanbeer, who says, the Canucks can compete with anyone if they bring the same core back. And if Pod Coles and Hoaglander and Rathbone take the next step and they sign Russian free agent Kuzmenko, I think they are cup contenders, especially now that they have a good coach. T- so T- you go. Tambier- Andre Kuzmenko is putting them over the top. Tambir used to want a cup for real. What happened to you, bro? Uh, there we go. Rico and Vernon says, of course we would raise our game. Like when we beat Minnie in St. Louis, of course we would be toe-to-toe with L.A. and Edmonton. But even that, if I don't think so. And even that, the best-case scenario is being toe-to-toe with L.A. and Edmonton, right? Totally. Which is, okay, that's that's second, nice. Second round cannon fight. Yeah, but you're not going to be toe to toe with Calgary, Colorado, St. Louis. I, Minnesota. I also I also think it's debatable. I don't know that you would have been toe to toe with the Kings. I mean, the Kings are so much faster, and they have so much two way heft in the middle of their forward lineup. Right. I mean, even if you had Horvat and Demko, and you were giving L. A. Doughty and Matt Roy and or Matt Wah and uh, Sean Walker. I mean. My goodness, like that Kings team, that Kings team is better structurally, period. 
Period. Like, I don't know what else to say about it. Last uh, last word on this from Jason the Killer Goalie, who says the Canucks would not be able to keep up speed-wise with any team in the playoffs right now. Uh, keep your thoughts Maybe on Washington. that coming in. Maybe Washington. Keep your thoughts on that coming <laughs> in. We haven't seen them play yet, to be fair. Yeah. So, in those games last night, I think yeah, he's on to something. fair, fair. Uh, keep your thoughts coming in, 650-650. Did want to touch on the JT Miller conversation okay. that I brought up in the, in the previous segment. Just your reaction to what the agent had to say today on Donnie and Dolly. I, you know, a well, part of me just kind of shrugs. And I says, didn't yeah, hear he's it. An agent. I didn't hear it. Okay. I, I, but I read Dolly Wall's transcripts, and I want to say, uh, you know, with all kindness to my dear friend, Rick Dolly Wall, you know, I haven't heard it, so I haven't heard it from the source, and, and Dolly Wall's transcribing. I mean, oh, boy, that can be, uh, that can be a little hint and miss. Um, yeah, look, I think there was actually a fair bit to read into from the comments of Bartlett. Bartlett is, you know, I think about the Kale McCarr deal, right? And in contrast with almost every second contract mega deal that you've seen done over the last 12 months, the McCarr deal dropped in a press release and everyone was like, oh, that's done? It was like a shocker. Yeah. This is a guy who is very used to and, in fact, is known around the league for operating in a manner that tends to be pretty close to the vest. So for him to come out and say it is one of his goals to re-sign in Vancouver. He wants to help Vancouver going forward. He would be happy to extend this summer if we can make it happen. We will have some conversations this summer and see where it goes. This was, of course, uh, with Donnie and Dolly. He then added, we see value in security. Mythology is players don't do well after 25 to 30. That is not the case. Stamkos just hit career highs at 32. Players take care of themselves. We will see if a new deal comes together or not. I anticipate we will have conversations this summer. So some things you can read into. I think the fact that Bartlett is being this straightforward and frank with the market about JT Miller's wants should, first of all, put to bed the idea that JT Miller doesn't want to be here. That was always a, a lark. I've, I've been throwing cold water on it for a while. Um, not true. Clearly not true. Additionally, I think you can understand, intuit, see pretty clearly that JT Miller understands this was a career year. JT Miller and his camp understand that this was a career year, 99 points. Yes, you're a year away from unrestricted free agency, but it's in your best interest to secure the bag, right? This is... We're, we're, um, JT Miller's done very well in his career. We're talking about a guy with 30 million plus career earnings. But the next contract that he signs, we're talking generational wealth for the for for you know um, generations of the Miller family. This is a totally different state. They're totally different stakes here, and the time to go get paid the 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 platform year you want to be able to point to is this last one, obviously where you were you know a play driving first line center who killed pa- penalties crushed it on one of the league's most productive power plays in the in the second half all of which by the way runs through you and we're a point short of 100 yeah. i mean top 10 in the league this is this is the year this is what you want to be paid for so of course you'd value security you'd see value in security coming off of that of that career year um i then sort of come to the 30 plus question right Players do remain very good into their 30s, no question. There are a variety of them. Most of them are going to the Hall of Fame. Right? Most of them are. Like, Steven Stamkos is one of the best goal scorers. No, not one of. The best goal scorer 
in terms of the accuracy of his shooting, right? He's the best marksman of the last 15 years in the NHL. Ovechkin's the best goal scorer, of course, but he does it with volume. Stamkos is the greatest sniper, the finest sniper of his generation. Um, Alex Ovechkin himself is a legendary goal scorer. He's going to retire probably as the league leader in goals scored and and top five in goals per game. I mean, he is a machine. Uh, Joe Pavelski is going to hit 1,000 points. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame. Um, You can find examples, but most of them are players who have generally been in a class of star uh, part of conversations, which JT Miller hasn't typically been. Right. Uh, I mean, I think that's fair to say, which is not to say that JT Miller isn't very, very good. Is there a world in which he maintains his effectiveness into his 30s? Yeah. Yeah, of course. There is a real chance of that. If you wanted to make the argument to me, this is the argument for JT Miller sustaining this year's success that I that I'm here for a little bit. I'm at least willing to I'm at least willing to hear this argument. JT Miller moved to center and when he moved to center, his game changed. That's the argument. Right. All of a sudden, he became a high-end playmaking center. And with his intelligence for the game, he is likely to keep that particular skill set for longer than he would have if he was the type of power winger we first saw when he came to Vancouver. That's why one might believe that he can be very effective and even worth his contract well into his 30s. If that's your argument, I I understand. The risk, though, is is that when you look at Miller's underlying profile overall, you see a guy who was among the lead leaguers and lead league leaders, lead league leaders. Thank you. There you go. Dunbar lumber <laughs> um, league leaders in uh, individual point percentage, right? Almost 20% higher than he's ever hit in his career. His on ice shooting percentage, both at five on five and on the power play was astronomical, right? All of those three indicators are well above his career norms. Additionally, his two way ability fell off a little bit as a centerman. As a winger, he's been a high-end two-way guy. At center, some of the gaps in his defensive game were more apparent, more obvious, and his defensive impact was slightly negative overall over the course of the season. Although I would note his last 20 games were the best 20 games that he played defensively of the year. So you put all that together, and I would bet heavily (laughs) against Miller being a really high-end piece into this contract but I would also bet heavily on him being at least market value for the first two or three years because he's really, really good yeah. without question. This team is better with JT Miller on it than they are without him for at least a couple of years. And yet, and yet, I think the realities of the hard cap force teams into such difficult decisions on who to keep and who to you know, allow to depart. And it's not enough to have the right guys – you also have to have the right guys at the right time of their career and at the right price. On the right contracts. And and just the way that I tend to see that, I suspect that Miller was on the right contract to be a guy you win with the last three years plus next. And I think the next deal that he signs, considering how this team is positioned, considering all the commitments they already have on the books, considering that Oliver ekman Larson, for example, is signed at 7.26 through 2027. Right? I think you get into a moment like, can you win a cup if you've got JT Miller and Oliver ekman Larson taking up 15 to 16 million of your cap space in their age 32 and 30, 33 and 31, 34 and 32 age seasons, all the way up through their age 37, 35 seasons? I don't think so. I, I don't think this team is close enough 
to capitalize off of the likely the most probable productive years of the next Miller contract. And, and we shouldn't overlook this, there is a non-zero chance based on the history of these deals, right? There is a non-zero chance that the deal is a net negative the day it is signed. Like the Erickson deal was, like the Jeff Skinner deal was. Yes, that's a worst case scenario, but you can't ignore the worst case scenario. I didn't ignore the best case yeah. scenario either, which was that JT Miller becomes, you know, an Adam Oates with, you know, a, a, a more um, significant vocabulary of, of curse words, right? <laughs> There's, there is that possibility too. But, but I actually think the, pop, the probability of him being a player who at no point, at no point on his next contract provides more value to the team than he would have if he walked for free is greater than the probability that he's, you know, uh, foul mouth that emotes yeah, into his mid thirties, a, a ninety point player until thirty five. Just, just, that's just how I'd handicap it, yeah. and it's a really tough decision for a club, especially when you consider how much they've spun their wheels over the past seven years. When you consider the timing inherent in the Demko contract, when you consider that you know there's the Besser situation, the Horvat situation, and the Pedersen situation, and all of those guys are going to get more expensive in the near future to navigate. I don't envy Rutherford and Alvin. I, I think if you're coming down and saying one approach is the right one or the wrong one, necessarily, that's probably not fair. It's a complicated situation and a, yeah. and a super high-stakes one. It's just that my appetite for risk, considering all of the risks that they took to build this non-playoff team, considering how they're positioned, I just prefer to see this team try to build something that's more sustainable. I'd like to see them slow cook something as opposed to just put the leftovers in the air fryer. At some point, you need to change what you're doing if you want to get a different outcome. And, and for me, that would be looking to the future with some discipline and trying to pull a higher stakes version of the Hammonick Dermot thing with JT Miller. Like, the key for me is find not, the next one. not just looking at it as JT Miller in a vacuum, but specifically how he fits with everything else that's happening on this team. Because right. if this team had a boatload of cap flexibility going into this offseason, totally I think there'd be a very strong argument yep. for re-signing him. Hey, we're building something here. This guy was a key to it. Let's do it. If they had all the flexibility in the world, it would be a much, much different conversation, but they don't. And maybe they can pull a rabbit out of their hat and figure out a way to create that flexibility, and that changes the complexion of the JT Absolutely Miller debate. But you have to look at it not just as JT Miller and what he's likely to do because obviously he's a fantastic player it's also about the situation the team is in uh quickly here let's run through the four series that get going tonight i know you've already made your picks public on twitter so maybe i can uh, just give mine and you can tell me why i'm an idiot rapid Sounds fire good. here so i'll start with uh what to me is the most compelling of the four series that start tonight uh the rangers and the penguins this is a tough one I wanted to pick Pittsburgh out of respect for Sidney Crosby and the year he's having, which has been phenomenal. I think flying under the radar, I'm going to give it to the Rangers in seven. And uh, yeah. it's a tough one, but that's oh, that's where I come down. I, I think picking against Igor Shosturkin is one of the picks that I'm least confident about. Yeah. I just think Pittsburgh has a totally different gear than the Rangers do five on five. And so I'm picking them in six, but obviously the Rangers' edge in special teams and in goal needs to be, yeah. um, you know, if you're betting on if you're betting on the Penguins, do it with extreme caution. As I said, hard to pick against Sidney Crosby, but yeah, the goal, the the get edge to the, get to goal. the goods, Panthers. 
Come on. <laughs> now, the other series is like, Dang. what do you want me to do? Florida in five. Yeah, Florida in five. Florida in five. I've got Colorado in four. Sorry, Nashville. Yeah, me too. Actually, with the sorrow injury. Both, yeah, I don't. I no, don't. It's, it, that one's over before it begins. And then uh, Calgary and Dallas. And I'm going to break uh, Bick Nazar's heart here and, and pick against his beloved Dallas Stars. But I'm taking the Flames in five. Bick likes Dallas. Oh, Bick loves Dallas. That team sucks. <laughs> I hate that team so much. I hate, they, they they upset me to watch them play. Weren't you telling? Are me? you excited? Are, do you like them because you're excited to see Luke Glendening play 20 minutes a night? My goodness! Weren't you saying they were going to give the Flames more trouble than people thought? I do. Yeah, I, I'm giving. I'm taking. I'm taking Dallas in six, but I'm saying that because I don't like. You're them. taking Dallas in six. Sorry, sorry. I'm okay. taking the Flames in six. Okay, okay. But but I'm taking that because I think that Dallas plays such a boring style of hockey that the Flames aren't going to be able to do their usual Daryl Sutter counterattacking game. Tell me one good thing about Dallas, Big Nazar. Rupe Hints. Yeah, yeah Rupe Hints is really Quit good. It's, it's, it's not really about the entire Dallas Stars. <laughs> There's a couple of players yeah, that yeah, I enjoy yeah. watching. Big, Jake, Jake is a Finnish hockey super. Yeah, I, I strongly, that, that's really what it comes I yeah. strongly consider Jason Robertson on my heart ballot. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm on board with this. I'm on board with the first line. It's just that the way they play. I, I, oh, it's, I, it's, it's, it's a tough one. I legitimately, <laughs> I'm well aware. I legitimately think that they're going to try to hard match Faxa and Glenn Denning against the Lindholm line. And that, as a result, Sutter's just going to keep rolling them out there, and he's going to get to play 20 minutes a night against Glenn Denning and Faxa. I can't wait to watch it. And it's it. going to drive me nuts. Zero, zero hockey, man. Oh. Can't wait. All oh. right. You hear him. Bick Nazar is in the house. He's going to take over with the People Show. That's up next, and they will get you set for Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford live at Rogers Arena on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.